Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's your buddy Chewy, and I am joined by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? What is up, buddy? How you doing? Good, man. How are things? Ah, things are good. Things are all right. Still way too damn cold for my liking outside, but um, I, I'm probably going to be bitching about that for the next two or three months at least, so I <laughs> guess I got to get used to that, but uh, think, yeah, man, uh, things are good. Not as exciting as the, the city of Cleveland these days, though, huh? You got some stuff going on there that's worth talking about. You know, I tell you what, it, it has been, um, you know, yeah, it, it's been it's been an awesome couple of weeks in Cleveland, you know? I mean, my uh, my kids are my oldest is 14 and so he has no concept of what a winning browns team actually is um so it's, like right. he has no idea um so it has been uh, it's been pretty cool to uh to to kind of experience with them and you know if you watch that steeler game um you know you blinked and they were up 28 nothing which was just just an awesome awesome experience so now at halftime when it was 28 to nothing how nervous were you at that point that they would still blow that game? Like a hundred percent nervous. Right. I, like, so you yeah, thought it was legitimately nowhere near being done at that point. Yes, absolutely. And sure enough, right. The Steelers come out and they score what 13 unanswered points or whatever it was. Um, yes. I, there, there was, I had absolutely zero level of comfort that that game was over. None. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but what a what a great thing! And if all the teams in in the league to beat, how about the Steelers? Right, like that was that tough at all for you? Because I mean, you grew up a Steelers fan. Uh, I did, yeah, I did. And, and it's funny, um, you know, I even after I so I yes, I did grow up a Steelers fan. I grew up in Pittsburgh before. I, well, before I, I've lived in Cleveland since I was about. Um, I moved to Cleveland right before I started kindergarten. So what five? Um, so you know, I've been here the better part of 40 years. Um, and I, and I can honestly say for a lot, for a long time, I still rooted for the Steelers. Um, yeah. and, and I can say though, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was, um, I'm a Browns fan first and foremost. Um, I was rooting for the Browns. No, no ifs, ands or buts about it. Um, and so no, I was, I was very, very happy and no, it wasn't, it wasn't hard at all because it was, you know, especially the way that game started first snap and we're up seven, nothing. And, and uh, so now it was, it was cool. Um, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I won't say I'm optimistic about this, this game this weekend, they're playing the chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions. Um, I, but I'm, but I don't think it's as big of a lopsided game as it is maybe being portrayed. I mean, I think, I think they absolutely can win that game. I, you know, do I think they're going to probably not, but I think yeah. they absolutely can win that game. Well, I sure hope they put up a good fight because it would it would be uh, it would be great to see. Now, I have to admit, for my own selfish needs, um, I am hoping the Chiefs win only because I mean, I would be happy if the if the Browns won. Um, but the Chiefs have the best uh, chance of knocking off the Patriot or Patriots. Oh my God, uh, the Bucks because I I strongly feel like the Bucks are going to sneak their way into the Super Bowl this year just because I've learned not to bet against Tom Brady uh, ever. Uh, coincidentally or ironically, that's exactly what I've done is I bet against Tom Brady. I have a, a bet with my brother-in-law, Mark, that uh, Tom Brady will not get another Super Bowl win uh, in the league uh, under a different team. I bet him 50 ever, bucks. Or ever or just this year? Uh, ever. Like from this point forward, he will not okay. win a Super Bowl ring. And uh, I, I, it, was a, it was a foolish bet, but I thought as soon as he left the Patriots, it would take him too long to start over again and, and assemble a team. 
that would be a, a true contender. And, and here I am, not even a year later, uh, uh, getting ready to eat my words. So um, I'm, I'm hope I think that Kansas City has the strongest chance to beat them. So, uh, but I mean, they have to get through the Saints first, which which isn't going to be easy. That's this weekend. Um, but yeah. I think they're going to do it. I got to be honest. I just think Brady's got that magic. He's going to find a way to get through it. And uh, and then they would and then they would have to beat what? They'd have to beat the winner of the it was the Green Bay and who? Well, yeah. So Green Bay got a buy in the first round, I believe, and then Green Bay uh, goes against the who won the Seattle or no? Yeah, whoever. Was it that guy? Oh, it was who beat, yeah, who beat Seattle. It was, um, that's terrible that I don't know. Rams? Um, yes, it was lost. Yes, the Rams. Okay. So anyways, yeah, I, I think the Packers are going to, I don't know if they're going to get to, the, I want the Packers to get to the Super Bowl because I think the Packers and Chiefs would be a fun rematch if that's how it ended up. But um, yeah. but ultimately, as long as Brady doesn't win, I don't care. I, the, the Browns could go all the way. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know what? That would, that would be an interesting, um, yeah, it, it would be. I mean, to say to say the Browns in the Super Bowl would be interesting is an understatement of just absolutely epic proportions. Obviously, they have never been there. Um, right. You know, they you know they've won league championships, but they've never, um, you know, they, they've never even been to a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl era. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're obviously we're rooting for that. I uh, you know f- fellow four hundred six alumni um, Jeff. Um, shot me a shot me a note today because you know he's a huge um, he's a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I imagine he and I will uh, will trade a couple of barbs over the next couple of days here. Um, That's I right. Did, I did see that. I did see that jab on Facebook, and I thought, <laughs> oh, that'll go over well. Yeah, I, I did see a funny uh, meme today. It said, um, <laughs> "We're less than two weeks into the new year, and the United States Capitol has been raided. Civil war is currently trending on Twitter." Kanye West is hooking up with a dude and the Cleveland Browns are two wins from away from the Super Bowl. 2021 really said, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's uh, that's about as good as it can be described right there for sure. So, um, all right. Well, well, <laughs> with, with the pleasantries out of the way, um, let's, uh, let's get into tonight's topic. I, I think it's fair to say it has, uh, as, as proven to be a doozy to put together. It was for me. I'm assuming it was for you as well. Oh, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, you, you took one of the most important things in the world to me and, you know, maybe more important than my own children and made me rank them. Uh, and well, I guess not rank, but at least pick my favorites, which is, is sort of the same thing. Um, but yeah, today's tonight's topic is going to be our top five uh, favorite albums. Again, favorites, not bests, because it's all art. It's all subjective. So we're just having fun with it. But um, top five favorite albums uh with the stipulation that they can't be greatest hits albums so we can't it can't be cheating because that that very much is cheating and they can't be uh repeat artists so they have to be uh individual artists so you can't uh you can't put uh you know nickelback on there four times which i know made that really hard for you uh but you know you're just gonna have to you're gonna have to come up with some other choices i guess yeah. So th- yeah, this, this was, um, th- this was one of those, you know, again, Pip and I have been talking about doing this podcast for years. Um, and, and this, this maybe not without the stipulations, but this is kind of always one of those things that kind of bubbles to the top of, Hey, we should talk about our favorite albums. Um, 
you know, so so for me, kind of a, a, the criteria that I use for a lot of these to kind of break ties and those kind of things is, um, you know, albums that I can put in, you know, whether it's on in a CD or an old old school cassette, right, and just hit play and just not skip a song and listen to the whole thing from beginning to end, and the the album as a whole is incredible. So that was that was kind of my that's how I framed these. So. No, that's perfect. I mean, and, and that's how that's how my list is built as well. In terms of again favorites, uh, there's not a song on any of these albums. Well, I, actually, it's not true. There's one song on one of these albums that I actually can't stand, and I skip every time, which is really <laughs> ironic. But but we'll get there, and I'll and, and you may even be able to guess because I there's one album on here that you'll be able to nail from about a thousand yards away. But uh, okay. but uh, the rest of them may be surprises. Hopefully, are surprises. Okay. So, so did you, um, I know we didn't say we were going to, did you rank them? Are you going to be giving them in any sort of rank order or are you, are we ju- are you just saying, Hey, here's five. I, I, I personally have decided to rank them only because that's sort of, I didn't, I don't know. I, I went into it thinking that's, that's what we were going to do. And, um, when I started doing, I couldn't not rank them. I guess my OCD just kind of kicked in and I decided, okay. well, I have to put these in some sort of order. Um, so I will be reading them in order of the ranking, but I, it's also fair to say much like the rest of our top five lists, like these, the orders of this can change, uh, quite frequently because, um, you know, depending on what kind of mood you're in or depending on, on what you've been listening to lately, like these things change. And some of these albums that I have on my list, maybe I, I, I won't listen to for another couple months and then I'll revisit it and, and remember how, how great it is and how much I love it. So it, it constantly changes. Okay, that that's fair. Um, th- that being said, I will also um, I will rank. I will give mine in rank order as okay. well. Okay. All right. Well, you pick the topic, sir. So you start our list tonight. Damn it. <laughs> um, okay. No pressure. So that that being said, um, I'm going to start with number five. Um, it is the. Let me just verify this before I say it. It is the newest album on my list. Okay. And, and before you say anything else, what year is the newest album on your list? 2012. Oh, wow. Okay. That's actually much better than I thought. <laughs> and that's much newer than my newest album on the list. Right. Yeah. So it is, it is 2012. Um, it was released on February 24th, 2012. It is an album called All the Little Lights by Passenger. Oh, wow. Um, Passenger is, and and it's going to be interesting as we go through these. You know, I I consider myself, I'm a, I I love, um, I love lyrical music. I love acoustic music. I love a lot of kind of folksy music, but I also like a lot of like hard rock, you know, old school, you know, obviously we've talked about ballads. We've talked about hair bands, you know, those kind of things. We've talked about Van Halen and those kind of things. Um, but I think you'll see as we go through my list, my lists are, um, there's a lot of softer music, a lot of folksy type music, um, and almost to an album, they are really good lyrical albums as well. Um, and that's, you know, that's just kind of the stuff that resonates with me. Um, th- this is an album that, you know, probably not super well known um there's one song on here that you know got a lot of airplay it's called let her go um that particular song i don't know where it ranked 
Um, but I mean, it was in a Super Bowl commercial. It was, I mean, that song was everywhere for a while. Um, Passenger, this is actually the fourth studio album by uh, Passenger. Um, again, he's just kind of an old school English, you know, he's got a really kind of heavy, thick English accent. Um, you know, it's the kind of guy that you can, um, you know, you can really kind of imagine just sitting in a pub, right? A smoke-filled pub, um, just kind of singing his folk tunes. And it is an album, like I said, I put it in, I hit play, and I can just kind of disappear for the entire 12 tracks or whatever it is. It's only about 45 or 50 minutes long. Um, but I, you know, and I, I listen to it a lot on road trips. I listen to it a lot at night. I listen to it when I'm um, kind of in a very introspective mood. And again, it's just, it's one of my favorite albums. It's probably, and it's, and it's probably the least well-known of, of all the albums on my list. Um, but in my mind, that doesn't make it any less special. It's a great album. I love it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I am familiar with their uh, with their song that was on the uh, on the radio, but I I can't say I know too much about that. But it was it was a really uh, it's funny you should say you t you should talk about his voice because that's one of the the lasting memories I have of that band is that he has a very uh, a very specific very sort of thick uh, accent or or you know uh, singing style that uh, is is definitely hard to forget. So that was uh, that's that's really interesting. So, all right. Um, number five, sir, what do you got? All right. Well, number five, I'm, I'm bringing out the big balls right away. I, I, much like you and, and um, much because of you, I'm also a big fan of a lot of the, uh, the slower acoustic music, but that, that didn't really make its way onto my list with the exception of maybe one album, but this one isn't it. This album was released on uh, August 3rd of 1987. Um, it is by far my... Oof. It's, I, I want to say it's my favorite album of the 80s. It's definitely one of the most successful albums of the 80s. And uh, it, it, uh, it spawned seven singles, which to me to this day is still insane how impressive that is, especially back then. And this is uh, Hysteria by Def Leppard. Um, Def Leppard is one of those bands where people either really love them or really hate them uh, because they're, I mean, they're the epitome of 80s hairband rock and roll right um but the thing that i think really makes them stand out is is the production behind the work that they did um the seven singles pour some sugar on me animal armageddon hysteria rocket love bites and and women uh, i mean just amazing that a, a band could release seven singles off of an album back then and it was uh very famously produced by mutt lang who was um who was meticulous uh, with his work in the studio with a lot of overdubs and a lot of sort of fancy sonic trickery. Uh, he, he did a lot of work with ACDC and the Cars and Shania Twain, Huey Lewis, Maroon 5. So he, he's been all over the place. And his goal for this album is that he really wanted it to be the rock version of Thriller. Um, and uh, this, this album was recorded shortly after drummer uh, Rick Allen lost his arm in that uh, near fatal car accident which to me to this day i still think it, it's become a bit of a punchline to some extent but the fact that there's a drummer out there with one arm and he's in a successful rock band is just fucking insane it's and he's a, he's a good fucking drummer too yes he, he is a good drummer now now granted you know he can't do the same things that other drummers with two working arms can do but i mean the fact that he designed his own kit after this accident um to to allow him to be able to hit the same 
drums at the same times, but he's doing it with a combination of his feet and his right arm. It's just, it's, it's insane. It's just amazing how that works. Is that the first album that he, that they recorded after that accident? I believe so. Yes. That was the, the first full album. And then it was the last full album that would feature Steve Clark, who was the original guitar player yep. uh, in the band who died of uh, alcohol and drug abuse, unfortunately. But this album went platinum 12 times in the U S which means it sold over 12 million copies. And I mean, just, it's it's you can't not hear it anywhere you go when you listen to 80s music and i think it still sounds great like it's it's a very dated sound so if you don't like electronic drums like stay the hell away from this but from for my take um i won't i won't stand on a pedestal and say it's brilliant songwriting but just just listening to all the layers of everything that they put together and the the sugary poppy bubblegum rock feel to it um it's, it's just fantastic and i i love it i i don't think there's a better def leppard record album and there's not a lot of better 80s records out there no I, yeah I, I would agree with that it is it's a, it's an amazing in fact it was one of the ones that i you know i was as i was going through my list i'm like man i would i would really love to get a, an 80s rock album on here right and so i was like ah you know so i so i toyed around do i put def leppard do i do i go with bon jovi new jersey do, you know like those you know but th- this one absolutely um crossed crossed my mind um i mean to me the, you know the most iconic thing about that particular album is the video for pour some sugar on me you know it's that it's that circular stage mm-hmm. um joe elliott's got those ripped jeans um you know i mean i think that's i haven't looked at the charts i imagine that's the highest uh ranking single of that album i would probably maybe love easily, Bites, i don't know it's easily the most successful single uh, of yeah. their entire catalog and, and the interesting thing about it is that i don't think it was the first single that they released and the album didn't really take off until that single came out and it wasn't okay. in, it wasn't in the uk either it was america america is the the <laughs> the ones that really launched Def Leppard into the mainstream rock uh, zeitgeist, if you will. Uh, they, they really put them out there. So that, yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Do you, do you have a favorite song off that album? Um, it probably, oh, that's a great question. Damn, I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, <laughs> it probably changes. It's definitely not Pour Some Sugar On Me. I was going to say, for me, for me, it's Armageddon. I love that too. I, yeah, I mean, that, oh man, that's tough. I think it's Armageddon, but honestly, you know which one I think it really is? Is it's probably Rocket. I don't know why, but that okay. it's got that. Yeah, it's got a good. It's got that drum beat that just yeah. it makes you stand up and just kind of start grooving to it. I think Rocket is uh, is my favorite song with uh, Armageddon. Probably a close second. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Good. Good pick. Good pick. All right. All give right. me your number four. My number four uh, is from December 31st, 1991. Um, it is a band, it's probably, I'm trying to think, this album is, is not super, super well-known. It's actually a band that we saw together. Uh, it is Mental Jewelry by Live. Oh, wait, did you say December 31st? Yes, of 1991. And New Year's Eve, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 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 th- this is an album. Um, I was actually introduced to this particular album. Um, I went on a, a a school trip to Spain um, after I graduated from high school, and about a week or ten days before I left for that trip, um, a buddy of mine, actually Dan, who you know, who you met, you know, we we were listening to this album. And, and I just, I fell in love with it. 
and I bought it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I bought it like the day or two days before I left. And I listened to that album, you know, the entire, you know, transcontinental flight over and the entire flight back. And um, just, you know, just, just fell in love with it. I mean, it's got, it's, it, I don't think it's got any, I think they released three or four songs. They released Operation Spirit. Um, I'm pretty sure they released Beauty of Grey, which is probably the song that if anybody knows this album, other than live fans, that would probably be the one that they know. Um, my favorite song on the album is called Mother Earth is a Vicious Crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it is, you know, Ed Kowalczyk, who's the lead singer of live. Um, his, his voice is, in my mind, is kind of very pure. His lyrics tend to be very um, uh, harsh. They tend to be very politically motivated, politically driven. He is, um, you know, he, but, but again, I mean, his, I just, I just love everything about this album. It's, it's the, it's the album that got me, that introduced me to live. You know, it's, it's certainly not their most uh, critically acclaimed album. Obviously that would be throwing, throwing copper would be the next, the next album where, you know, where you got lightning crashes and those kind of things. But this is the one, if I have to listen to one live album, this is the one that I always go to. I mean, yeah, that's that album. Um, I remember seeing that for the first time. I, I think you were the first one that uh, I, I knew live from throwing copper before I think I really got to know you, but mental jewelry was the one that you introduced me to. And it's, it's definitely sonically not as refined as, as their follow-up album for obvious reasons, but for a debut album in a band, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And I think mirror songs, probably my favorite off of that mm-hmm. one. That one is a really good song, but Pain Lies by the Riverside is another one. I think that might be the other single that, that would have been released if I had to guess, um, because that was really popular. But I agree, there's not a bad song on that album. And uh, it's uh, it's really, really good. And it was just a sign of things to come, because that band would put out at least a couple more albums, in my opinion, of really, really great songs. Um, yeah, and that was that was fantastic. I did not know that was on New Year's Eve, though. That was uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's when it was released. You know, I, I do I do find it kind of funny. So I was looking on Wikipedia. So you know, Rolling Stone they obviously rate every album that ever comes out, right? They, yeah, they gave they gave that album two out of five stars, which which I find I don't know. It's I find that hard to believe. I'm not suggesting it's a five star album, but. Um, I mean, especially based on what it launched for live. I, I just, I think that that was really low in my book. So it's low, but I think if you, if you consider like, I'm sorry, one more time, 91, is that what you said? 1991. Yeah. 91. If you consider what else was coming out around that time uh, and what it was stacked up against, I, I have to think that the critics were comparing it to some of its peers and, and uh, That's fair. you know, like Nirvana was coming out at that time. And it certainly, uh, you know, the, regardless of how you feel about Nirvana and I'm not the biggest Nirvana fan in the world, but it, it was certainly um, something that was a, a, you know, a comparison piece, I think to that, like th- there were probably people that said, well, it's not Nirvana and it wasn't Nirvana. Like Nirvana certainly was more popular and, and more critically acclaimed. Um, but in my opinion, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like there, that album is really good, very underrated and I'm glad to see that they sort of got their due after uh, after their follow up throwing copper came out because that one just went catastrophic. That one went off the charts for them. And we did. Did we only see them once? Because I have uh, I know I've seen them about eight times. 
I had to open them up my concert spreadsheet to uh, to double check, but I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure we saw them up at Deer Creek. I think we only saw them once though. Okay, all right, yeah, that. But I mean, what a great live band! And seeing them on the Throwing Copper tour was especially cool because um, that was only their second album at the time, so they had to play a bunch of songs from their first album. Which oh was, yeah, so we got to hear a bunch of those songs, which was really cool. So, all right, uh, what do you got for uh, number four, sir? All right, so my number four will probably be the most obscure, certainly the least uh, on my list of, um, at least on my top five, it's gonna be the least well-known, um, but, but not unknown. Um, this is the newest album on my, uh, on my list coming in, uh, released in March of 2000. Um, this artist is somebody who I've uh, absolutely fallen in love with ever since this album came out and I, I got introduced to it. And, uh, you know, he's put out a handful of albums, but I just, I really love what he does sonically um, in terms of how he produces his albums and this, him as a songwriter and his name is Pete Yorn. And uh, his debut album, debut album was called Music for the Morning After. And it was, it, oh man, to this day, it's, it's just still so important to me. And, and, you know, like we've talked about, like a lot of the music on this list is important to me and I'm sure to you because of the time that it came out and, and the things that we were going through in our lives. And, um, you know, when this came out, I was uh, I was really trying hard to to get into new bands and, and sort of expand my taste. And this is, I suppose, what would have been considered somewhat alternative back then. But by today's standards, you know, that's kind of a goofy uh, category to put anybody in. But um I just, I really loved the way it sounded. I loved the, the acoustic slash um, electronic feel that it had to it. Um, you know, Pete was raised in New Jersey and he grew up listening to like Springsteen and Bowie and the Smiths. And I think if you know any of those bands, you can hear a lot of that in his music on that first album. Um, but it felt very calculated and very polished for a debut album. And, and to this day, probably my, in the top three of my favorite debut albums of all time um he wrote and recorded all the songs and played every instrument on the album uh, he had various okay. producers and people walking him through it but i mean he had so much good music at the time one of my favorite songs um is a song called new enough to know nothing at all and, and that didn't even make the cut of the album that ended up a, a b-side that he would release later when when he re-released the album in, in a deluxe package um so he just, he had such great music and, and was a good songwriter. He's one of those songwriters that isn't very obvious about what he's talking about. Like you listen to the lyrics and you can't necessarily pick apart what was going on specifically in his life, but you knew it was pretty heavy and that there was some, some real interesting context behind it. Um, but, uh, and my favorite part about Pete Yorn is the fact that uh, he's, he's a pretty small artist in terms of, you know, he's not super popular He's had songs in a bunch of movies, so he's gotten some exposure that way. His brother's name is Ricky Orn, and I believe he's actually a, a kind of a big-time Hollywood producer, so I'm sure that's okay. helped get his songs and movies. But I've met Pete a couple times and, you know, got my picture taken with him and autographs and chatted with him, and he's a super cool, down-to-earth kind of guy, and um, it, it, which, you know, obviously makes the my my passion for him and his music uh, all, all the more strong. So, um, yeah, Pete Yorn, that's, that's my number four. Yeah. Did, didn't he have, he, you mentioned movies. He had a couple tunes, two or three on the soundtrack for, uh, what's that Jim Carrey movie with Renee? Myself Zelda? and Irene. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which I believe, I believe his brother was um, involved in. I believe he may have produced that movie or had something. Oh, is that right? So so there's probably some nepotism or or some, some sort of uh, family uh, advantage that he got from that. But if you look up uh, the songs that he had in movies, there's, there's quite a few of them and it's, um, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's a good list. I would highly recommend it. I know it's, I won't say it's acoustic in the same sense that you like, but I, I know that you're, you know, that you take notes in these, in these podcasts when yeah. you hear about songs and stuff you don't know, give that one, one listen. If you don't like it after one listen, then then put it down and, and don't worry about it. But I, I think that, you know, you might really uh, grab onto some of the, All right. some of the stuff there. So give that Ooh. one a shot. I can do that. I can do that. All right. Um, All right. So number, uh, number three for me, um, this might be, if there's going to be an overlap, this would be the one I think in our top five. Um, It is from March 24th, 1986. Uh, It's by a little band called Van Halen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it is 5150. Okay. Um, All right. you know i think we've chatted about it on a previous episode um again this is the one that that you you know i could do this with most van halen albums but you put it in you hit play and it just it just goes and for me it's like kind of one song after another and it's and it's almost like an opera in a sense that you know it, it kind of goes together very well in my mind it builds on itself it tells a story again in my mind i don't know if that's by design, but you know, everything Sammy, it's the first album with Sammy Hagar in at the helm. Um, you know, Sammy's all about love. Sammy's all about having fun. Um, you know, and I know, I think we mentioned that live without a net album where you could just tell those guys are having fun playing those songs. And, you know, that was, that was one of my first introductions to this particular album. And I just, I just fell in love with it and I have never put it down. I, I listened to that album regularly all the way through all the time so yeah i mean i'm the last person in the world that's going to criticize you for that choice for for obvious reasons um the uh it's an interesting album because it it's the first time that van halen really lets to sort of it's it's the first album they really get to spread their wings right because i think historically Anybody who knows Van Halen knows this is the first album with Sammy and, and the first one without David Lee Roth. And David Lee Roth was a great frontman, but in terms of vocal prowess, that wasn't really his specialty. Mm-hmm. And, and Sammy, whether you like Sammy or not, whether you buy into his shtick, you know, his rock and roll Jimmy Buffett vibe or whatever, the guy can sing. I mean, to this day, he's 73 years old, maybe 70. Yeah, I think 73. And, and he's, uh, he's incredible. He's one of the best lead singer. He's one of the best rock vocalists that has ever walked this planet. And I will fight anybody who argues with that. Yeah. Um, and, and Sammy joining the band at this time really allowed them to, to play different music. I mean, for those that don't know too much about music, um, you know, like a good, there's a standard tuning for a guitar and it's E-A-D-G-B-E. That those are the, the tunings for the individual strings. Well, when Dave joined the band or from the day one that Dave was in the band, they had tuned down a half a step because Dave didn't really have the vocal range to sing high. Sometimes that's an artistic choice because uh, songs that are tuned down a half a step have a darker kind of kind of more metal, quote unquote, vibe to them. 
But Sammy was the opposite. I mean, Sammy had the voice to do whatever he wanted. So as soon as Sammy got in the band, this was the first album where Eddie got to tune up to standard tuning and, and it just blew the roof off of it. I mean, it sounded so bright and so explosive uh, from beginning to end. And I know that Eddie really loved that because he really got to explore the music of it all a, a lot more, whereas with Dave, it was more limited. So, yeah, I mean, it's the funnest album I've ever listened to from from top to bottom. It's it's absolutely fantastic. So that's yeah, I mean, very obviously a great choice. You know, again, it, it you know, five five singles from that album. Um, you know, Why Can't This Loop Be Loved, Dreams, Love Walks In, Best of Both Worlds and Summer Nights. Um, you know, again, I mean, it's th that to me is the kind of the consummate summer album, right? It's just it's yes. fun. It's it is, you know, put put the put the windows down, take the the sunroof, you know, open the sunroof and just go. Right. Um, it's just it's just a fun album. I love it. It's funny you should say that because I'm sort of weird about what albums I listen to at what times of the year uh -huh. and much much like Hysteria. Uh, 5150 is not an album that I would listen to much in the wintertime because right. I, it just doesn't, I need the vibe to be right. And the vibe for me for 5150 is driving in your car with the windows down and just yep. screaming at the top of your lungs out of your car, very, very off key, um, you know, word for word, everything that's going on there. And that's, that's what it means to me. And, and I can't do that in the wintertime. So I don't even try. I'm like, nope. When it comes to Def Leppard or, or Journey or, or Van Halen or all those great 80s rock bands, like uh, we'll put those on the shelf until the, the sun comes back out. Cool. All right. Uh, what do you have for your number three, sir? All right. Well, my number three. Now, this number three and number two, man, they're, they're so close to being interchangeable. And for the longest time, this was my number two, but it's it's been downgraded, um, but but only uh, only by a hair. This one was released in uh, the, at the end of May in 1967. It was supposed to be released on my birthday, but got released a little bit early. This was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Not Club Band by the Beatles. Yep. Um, this one, this is where the feels really start to kick in for me and the, um, and the list of, of albums that I have. Uh, it was produced by George Martin, who uh, very famously produced all of the Beatles albums. Um, it's a really interesting, it's known for being a, an interesting mix of rock and roll, psychedelia, and, and sort of the hippie culture. Uh, the band was, was famously, um, you know, experimenting with hallucinogenic drugs and things like that at the time. So this album is one of those albums where I feel like if our parents were Beatles fans from like the 60s, the early 60s, this is where they fell off, right? Because shit got weird. I mean, shit got yep. really weird around this time. And, and Paul McCartney had this concept once he started taking LSD. Um, <laughs> he sort of created an alter ego for the band. And, uh, um, and this was, the, his idea was this, this band called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, would, this would be their album. This would be their performance record. Um, and, and so they just took that and they ran with it. And they had a lot of very crazy very weird, very different kind of sounds on this album. Um, you know, like the first song, Sgt. Pepper, um, kind of starts off and it, it sounds like a, a live track. It sounds like it was recorded live. And then it very seamlessly goes into um, with a little help from my friends. And uh, it, it just, it's, it's just so good. It was heavily influenced by the, the Pet Sounds album uh, mm -hmm. by the Beach Boys. Um, but for me, like the, where this really, the reason this made this list is because it's very nostalgic for my time living in the dorms, uh, on Teeter Thompson five, 
in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, 1994. So uh, our uh, our old RA, Chris Foss, was the one that introduced me to this album. And I remember being at Target in Bloomington and buying this thing and taking it back and just listening to it because it was one of the first albums that I listened to that I thought had weird, quote unquote, weird songs on it. Um, and uh, I, I just, I remember just on repeat, constantly listening to this. And I, I swear to God, I can still smell the dorms when the first few notes of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds come yep. on. And that's not a drug reference. That's not a, a pot thing or a weed thing. That's just, I just remember being there. I just remember how uh, important that was and how it timestamped that time of my life. And, and the most interesting thing I read about this when I was, when I was kind of trying to get more information on it was that this song or this, this album had, I mean, from front to back, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's almost flawless. It was supposed to have Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields forever on it, but it oh, was it really neither one of those songs actually appeared on the album, but they wrote both of those songs for this album. They decided they as in the record company and George Martin decided to release this a couple months ahead of time as a double a side single. So it wasn't, these were never officially part of an album. They were released as, as basically a single instead of a B-side single. It was two A-sides. And hmm. then when Sgt. Pepper came out, they felt like because of the way that the singles didn't really sell, um, they didn't feel like they could put them on the album. But I cannot imagine how fucking successful and how amazing and how revered this album would be if it actually had those two songs, which are two incredibly popular Beatles wow. songs on it. So that was that was really interesting. And George Martin, I think, famously said that he, he is one of his biggest regrets of his career is that he uh, he didn't fight harder to put those those two songs on that album. But, wow. I mean, it's to yeah. this day, I still listen to it frequently and it is it, it's just amazing. It's it's it really takes you back and, and transport you transports you to a to a different time for sure. Yeah, I, I have, um, you know, obviously I have very similar memories of the dorms and Chris with this with this album, because I know he he loved this album. You know, one of his favorite songs, obviously, was Lovely Rita. His, his wife is, is Rita. Um, and yeah, it was this is, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, when you're talking about kind of your favorite Beatles albums, uh, it's the White Album or is it? You know, I always suggest Sgt. Pepper. Like this is the album, and and I, you know, it's it's interesting what you said about you know if our if our parents were fans of the of the Beatles, this would be where they fell off. Um, I, I mean, again, this is where they came to life in my mind, right? It has nothing to do with drugs, right? Because I, I I've never done any of the, any of those drugs, so it's so it's not that, right? But it's um um yeah th this is to me this is the beatles this you know um obviously there's a couple songs that are probably more iconic but but again to me this is the beatles yeah great pick yeah but they have some really iconic songs off of this album i mean you just read through the track listing and you know it's lucy in the sky with diamonds or it's a day in the life or or um you know with a little help from my friends i mean it's 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 they have it's so great it's from top to bottom it's really really great great good good pick um Okay, so number two for me, and this is where I started, I started looking at the dates of all of these. And, you know, I've got, you know, 2012, I got 1991, I got 1986. This is from October 5th, 1992. Um, I, I think this is, you know, what, what this has really told me is, 
um, at this time in my life, you know, the mid eighties through the mid nineties, that has kind of really what, what shaped my, um, you know, what I love about music. Right. Um, again, this is a, <clears throat> this is a very, um, lyrics again in my mind is a very lyrics intensive album um but it is a little there are some songs on here that are folksy there are some songs though that are a little bit harder um it is automatic for the people by rem um th this album uh, again my criteria was you know kind of set it and forget it put it on and just kind of listen to it the whole way through i mean it starts out with drive and goes right into try not to breathe and then sidewinder sleeps tonight um, my least favorite song on this album is probably Everybody Hurts, with, which may have been the most um, critically acclaimed song on this album. Um, it's probably my least favorite song. My favorite song on here, I think, is Night Swimming, um, which, is a, which is a relatively slow, um, melodic piece. Um, but, but this, again, I mean, there's a lot of really good, solid REM albums. But again, this one, to me, is the one that you can put on and, and just kind of set it and forget it. Um, this one actually was ranked number 249 on the Rolling Stones 500 greatest of albums of all time, which, you know, not that I'm looking for, um, <laughs> for anybody else to kind of agree with me, but it just, it just goes to show that, you know, this, this is one of those albums that is, I think, kind of universally recognized as, as just an all around tight, really, really, really good album. They did come out with a 25th anniversary edition and there's a couple outstanding live, um, I don't know that they necessarily played the album through and through, but just kind of live renditions of all of these songs. I, I still think they play several of them, um, you know, late into the career, they were still playing a lot of these songs. And, and again, it's just, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that I'm the biggest REM fan in the world, but this album just really kind of struck a chord with me and, and has stuck with me for a lot of years. This one's an interesting choice. Um, I, I think that um, people underestimate, some people underestimate the impact that REM had on the world of music at this time. Like it was, they were huge. Like they were monsters. Even, even before Losing My Religion became a big thing, mm -hmm. um, REM was sort of like that it band, that college band. They sort of defined, I think at the time, what people were calling college rock. And in this album, um, I'll admit that I'm, I'm not overly familiar. I'm not the biggest R.E.M. fan either, but R.E.M. is one of those bands that when you find that song, you know, whatever that song is for you, it's easy to sort of attach yourself to it and, and you know, give it, give it meaning and um, let it be your soundtrack for whatever. For me, um, it's interesting that it's this album because this probably has my absolute favorite R.E.M. song on it, but it's not one that you mentioned. It's called Sweetness Follows. And oh, the so reason that that song came across my radar was because it was featured on the Vanilla Sky soundtrack, which mm -hmm. I might be one of the few people who really like that movie. Um, but it, it featured a lot of really great songs. Um, and, and this was one of them. And Sweetness Follows is just so, I don't know what the word is. And I've always tried to really grasp the word but i mean it just feels so surreal like there's something about that it's very dreamlike it's very um wispy i don't i don't know i don't know what the right word is but like when i hear it i feel like i'm in a dream and i i feel like that's sort of the soundtrack of whatever's happening in that dream and it's such a great song um 
and night swimming again that one is is fantastic too that one's probably the my second favorite on that album man on the moon's okay you know like that's that's that was their radio hit i think from that one one of their bigger ones anyways um next to drive probably well everybody hurts i mean you know that one that one's a little bit unfairly pigeonholed just because it is sort of a really Debbie Downer, Wah Wah kind of yeah, it's sound. The, it's, it's the emo I'm in love song, right? Everything sucks, everything. Right, which is ironic because they're major chords. <laughs> you know, like it's, right. not, it's not a minor chord song. Like it's actually, they use major chords in it. So it's, they use the happy chords, but they make a really sad sounding song, right. which is really interesting. Um, you know, I always had an appreciation for bands that could write a happy sounding, happy sounding song, um, but it was actually a really, really you know sad lyrically but this one was i don't know that was that was an interesting one for sure but that's a that's a good choice i think yeah. that they were a huge huge band when we were in college and it's it's, it's i mean you're right i i think you know i think the other thing that that you touched on there i, I do think that they are especially historically i think they're kind of overlooked because when they became you know ultra popular right it was at this time when grunge started right you, you, the nirvanas and the pearl jams of the world and those kind of things and, and music was kind of changing and rem really never did that right they were they were always a um you know a, yeah college rock kind of poppy you know they were certainly a progressive band but if you go back and you listen to the older rem stuff um they, they really didn't and this is to their credit they they certainly changed as a band, but you know it's an REM song from that for, for you know their entire catalog, and sure. that's not just Michael Stipe's voice, right? But that's that you know that that's them the whole time. They've got a oh, very yeah. signature sound, and it's it's yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's Mike Mills, it's it's Peter Buck, it's Bill Berry. Like you know, it's it's a very um, uh, it's a very patented type sound, and uh, that's what makes them really great for sure yeah. all right uh we're getting down to it what is all right all right number two so this number two again it could have been interchanged by number three it probably made its way to number two because of its recent re-release um originally released back on november 1st back in 1994 um this is the seminal uh wildflowers album by tom petty um tom petty I mean, I probably talk about him enough on this podcast, but he has grown to become probably, I mean, Van Halen is obviously one that I talk about a lot. He's probably my second favorite artist of all time at this point. Um, and this is the album. This is the one that I've been waiting for since 1994 that they would re-release and remaster and, and um, put out all those extra songs. So, so this was actually, interestingly enough, produced by Rick Rubin, who had at, by 1994 had made his name by producing the Beastie Boys and Run DMC um, and uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers eventually. Johnny Cash, he did some work with him. I think, I think that was later in Johnny Cash's career. Uh, but this album was so impactful to me. And I remember the first time I really heard any of the songs. I was at Purdue, ironically enough, uh, visiting some high school friends there. And somebody was playing this. I'm like, what is this? Like, I guess I knew that it was Tom Petty, but it didn't sound like Tom Petty. It didn't sound like a Tom Petty record by any means. Interestingly enough, this was his second solo album. Again, quote unquote, 
But that's kind of misleading because all of the heartbreakers played on it with the exception of his drummer, Stan Lynch. And, and this, this would essentially be the um, departure of Stan Lynch and Petty would find his new drummer, uh, Steve Ferroni, who would play on this album and, and he would eventually get the, the, uh, the job as the drummer and the heartbreakers going forward. Uh, it also featured Kenny Arnoff, who, uh, you know, uh, many people may not know him by name, but Kenny Arnoff is sort of like one of the most popular session drummers that is out there. He's played with Elton John and Bon Jovi and Melissa Etheridge. And he actually uh, attended the Indiana University School of Music uh, and oh, nice. graduated, I think, the year we were born. So he's a little bit older, but he's played with everybody, anybody and everybody. Kenny Arnoff is, uh, if you saw his picture, you, you'd probably recognize him. He also sort of uh, got famous with uh, John Mellencamp as well. Uh, features Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys, who did some backup vocals, and some guy named Ringo played drums on uh, <laughs> one of the tracks. Um, but, uh, you know, the interesting thing about this album is that aside from a few bangers, uh, you know, this is a really melancholy acoustic feel to this record. Um, it was about the time that Tom's marriage with his first wife was dissolving and, and they would end up divorcing two years later. And I think uh, he talked a little bit about it in his book that, that I think it was around this time where some of the there was some drug abuse that that I, I feel like wasn't widely known until his book came out um, that, that, that kind of started around this era, around this time frame. But the interesting thing is that he, you know, I, I think he was he's such an interesting songwriter and in that he just, he kind of treats himself as the vessel. Like this, this stuff just all comes to me. And then I just kind of put it out into the world. Like I'm not creating this. It's just, I'm just the guy who's sort of filtering all of it. And, you know, the song wildflowers that, um, you know, the, the lyrics go, uh, you know, you belong somewhere you feel free. And, and he, it wasn't until very many years later that he realized that he wrote that about himself, which I thought was really interesting and really introspective that he, he didn't even really understand it, but, you know, he was, he was in a marriage that was falling apart and, uh, you know, he was basically writing himself a song without even understanding that. Uh, interestingly enough, it was supposed to be a double album, but the record studio kind of talked him out of doing that because double albums are never really moneymaker albums. You know, like they don't, they don't typically uh, generate a, a lot of revenue. So they talked him into consolidating it into a, a single package. But recently, the, re the reason I mentioned that it's, uh, you know, recently on my list is because it was re-released as uh, a package called Wildflowers and All the Rest, which featured uh, 10 additional songs that were supposed to be a part of this double album. Oh, OK. As well as uh, home recordings uh, of, you know, basically demos of, of all these songs, alternate takes and live cuts of all the songs that ended up making up this album. So I I bought like a, a I'm I'm collecting records again and uh i bought a package it was like nine records of this album right and uh only two of those actually encompassed the original album and the rest of it is all the bonus material of all the stuff that he meant to put out at the time so uh you know long story short too late tom petty's wildflowers is just one of the greatest albums ever it meant so much to me and it's it's continued to uh, mean something to me over the years and all this time very cool you know it, it's funny i um i almost put a Tom Petty album on, on my list. Um, I would have gone with full moon fever, but I can totally see why you would, you know, why you're drawn to, to wildflowers as well. I'm Tom Petty. When we lost him, man, that was, that was um, not a, not a good day, obviously. 
That was tough. That was really tough. Like I, I will admit that I actually cried and and that was another one of those, like, you know, we had the Eddie Van Halen conversation about how impactful that was, even though, you know, I didn't know the guy, I wasn't friends with him. He wasn't like my uncle or anything. I just, I was so moved by the fact that he was gone. And the same thing happened with Tom Petty. I was just, I, I sat at my desk at work and I cried because I was so distraught about, you know, at, at the time, like he had not, had a chance to put together this package and th this was the next thing that he had announced that he was going to work on was redoing this wildflowers album okay. and i think it's commonly regarded by a lot of his fans as his as his greatest opus like his his best work and the fact that he didn't get a chance to come back and do this himself the, the proper way um you know really really sort of made things harder but like when he died like it it crushed me like i was in the height of my fandom at the time and uh, i was brokenhearted for sure uh, but okay, well, that's uh, so that's it. Wildflowers by Tom Petty. Fantastic. Right. Anybody who's listening to this hasn't checked that out. Please listen to the extra songs and the uh, the, the deluxe package of that because it's it's fantastic. But without further ado. All right. Uh, tell us your number one pick. My my number one, my favorite album of all time. Um, released on February 28th, 1989. It is an album that I, anytime I'm with, with my buddies and I start talking about favorite albums, I catch a rash of shit every single time I talk about this album. <laughs> I don't care. I will admit <laughs> to the death. It is the self-titled Indigo Girls album. Wow. You're uh, number one. It's, I love this album. To this day, I play it regularly. It is... Um, <laughs> I, again, I, I know I catch a lot of shit for it. Um, I, you know, the, the Indigo Girls. If you're not familiar, you know they're just a, they're they're a folk rock duo, right? They're from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they th this is actually their second studio album, but it's the first one kind of released on a major you know on a major album or a major record label. Um, you know, it it is. <sighs> again I, I can't really describe it it's a very acoustic album the entire thing it's very um the the lyrics really speak to me there's a lot of songs on here where you know to your point earlier they represent a time and a place in life music for me kind of gets me through a lot of really difficult spots in life um, you know i was you know I went, I went to school six hours from my from my girlfriend who was my high school sweetheart um, you, you, uh, you have all people know that better than anybody. Um, and you know, this, this album got me through a lot of hard times. Right. And, and still to this day, um, you know, there are times when I'll just, I'll go and, and I'll just put it on and it takes me back and it relaxes me. And, um, you know, we're living through a world of a rash of shit these days. Right. And this is one of those albums that I can kind of put on and I can relax and it'll take some of my stress away. I remember like it was yesterday when I, the first time I heard this album, um, I was, and in fact, I mentioned Dan earlier when we were talking about um, the live mental jewelry album, I was actually at his house on a new year's Eve with his older sister and her friends. And they were playing this album you know, so presumably they had already heard it. And, you know, I don't know if they were in college at the time or what have you, they were probably five or six years older than us. 
and and rather than you know watch dick clark or rather than play the games that we were playing or rather than drink or whatever we were doing i was literally just enthralled listening to this album and and it it kind of it made a mark on my soul and to this day it sticks and it's i like i said it's it's not the hippest or coolest choice but it is my favorite album of all time well, that's that's fantastic. I, I have no qualms with that whatsoever. And by the way, the second time that REM ends up on your list, because exactly uh, right. both yep. uh, all, all members of REM take turns playing on this album or singing or whatever. Um, they do. Yeah. No, this is good. And, and I own this album as well. Um, it, admittedly, it's it's been a while and probably way too long uh, since I've listened to this album. But it is, uh, you know, the Indigo Girls were a group that, or was a group that um, they, uh, you know, they were a huge part of a lot of, you know, some of our friends in college, like, lived around this group, right? Like, they were, they were so tightly wound around a lot of the music interests of, of the girls that we knew at the time. And there weren't a lot of guys that listened to the Indigo Girls, no, for sure. Yeah, not, not at all. Um, but this, this album was fantastic. It was, it was really, really good. And the, the songwriting is really where they excel, right? Like you listen to this album and you can tell that it's, it's put together by, um, people who are very thoughtful and, uh, you know, trying to send a message and tell a story. And, and that's, that's a real strong, uh, strong choice for sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I, uh, I always catch shit for it, but I will, I, I will defend it every single time yeah no i'm not for me i think that's a great choice it's a surprising one to be honest i did not expect it but uh i know that this one has always been near and dear to your heart so i think that that's great all right right, so my number one is is not gonna be uh super uh surprising uh it also came out on march 24th in 1986 and it is also 5150 by van halen um i'm sure for all all two of the people who listen to our podcast, they're probably sick of hearing us talk about Van Halen, but you know, I I guess I don't really care. Um, This album is the most, I don't know. I I don't know how to describe it other than I've, I've often said that there's, there's no bad mood that Van Halen can't dig me out of. And this album is, is, you know, the most, uh, the most powerful of all of them. Um, it's it's so much fun and it's so bright and it's so exciting and from the minute that Sammy says hello baby and the album just kicks in it just punches you in the face and just keeps punching until the album's over and it's it's so good and it's so much fun it's just fun like I can't ex- describe it any other way uh, you know produced by Don Landy and Mick Jones Mick Jones uh, fame from uh, being the foreigner guitarist um, he was, I think he was mostly credited for helping Sammy with his vocals, not helping, that's probably the wrong word, but coaching on his vocals because, you know, Sammy was a fantastic vocalist, especially in the mid eighties. Um, this was the first number one album that the band ever got uh, on the Billboard 200 chart. And uh, I believe if I'm not mistaken, every album that they did with Sammy, they only did four in total, uh, four studio albums. And every one of those albums hit number one on the charts. And this was the first time that any of their albums had ever hit number one. Uh, it was the seventh uh, album for the band, but like we mentioned before, it was the first one with Sammy Hagar. Um, 
interestingly enough, and, and I didn't think about this until I did my research, it's the first Van Halen album that didn't have an instrumental on it, which Eddie was really famous for, you know, yeah. like first one had Eruption, the second one had Spanish Fly, and then uh, Women and Children first had, uh, ooh, I'm not going to remember that one, uh, Fair Warning had Sunday Afternoon in the Park, uh, Diver Down had Cathedral, 1984 had 1984. This is the first one that didn't have um, an actual instrumental. So that, and, and we wouldn't see another one until the uh, Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge album, because yeah. we didn't yeah. get one on 0812 either. But three, 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 this is the one that actually has my least favorite song on it. It's the inside. That's, it's such a junky throwaway song. I mean, it's fun. And, and yeah. the thing that I will give it credit for is that it's very representative of what that band was going through at the time. Like, at the time, you know, yeah. They were all best friends <laughs> to the point where, I mean, it's not, that's like the ninth song on the album. Like it's not a long album, right? That's like, it's not even 10 songs, yeah. is it? No. Ninth or uh, tenth yeah. song. I, I don't remember, but <clears throat> it's the last song on the album and it's easily a throwaway, but the other songs are fantastic. I'm not as big of a fan of Why Can't This Be Love. Um, I'm sort of take it or leave it on that one. But mm -hmm. but the songs that aren't popular on that are the best ones. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. With yeah. the title track being my number one favorite Van Halen song of all time. 5150 is so great. And when you listen to Sammy belt out those vocals on that track, it is something else. It is a religious experience. Like that guy just kills it. And when you see it on Live Without a Net, it makes it even better. It's just insane. But good enough. And... Um, Best of Both Worlds and Summer Nights and uh, 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 shit. What's the third song? Or wait. Dreams? Uh, well, no, there's Dreams. There's the first song is, um, is it Good Enough? Shit. No, I'm good Enough is one. Yeah. Good Enough is one. And then it's. Um, Why Can't This Be Love? Get Up. Dreams. Get Up. That's right. it. So Good Enough and Get Up. The songs that, that didn't really get any play. Like those are the ones that are the real gems on this album. 5150. And of course. Love Walks In is one of the ballads is, is fantastic. It's so, so good. I mean, it's super fucking cheese dick, but it's so good. Um, and, and, you know, Eddie Solo and his synthesizer playing, like I like how he kind of brought the synthesizer over, but said, hey, I'm not going to overdo it on this album. Um, I mean, he did it a little bit, but he didn't overdo it. But it's, it's so great. Um, it, it means it so much to me. It was, I don't remember when I got this or what... <clears throat> in what order i know that balance was the first album i got and i think this was either the second or third it was it would have been either van halen one or this one would have been my second one and i don't remember which one but to this day i still listen to it for any pick me up that i ever need yeah. and it's uh it, it's just fantastic summer nights i mean it, geez it's ridiculous it's so good yeah, you can tell these guys were having so much fun it just permeates through that whole record yeah no yeah, I mean, I, I obviously it was on my it's in my top five. Like I said, if there was going to be one overlap, that was going to be the one. And um, I'm I'm thrilled I'm thrilled that it that it was the one because oh, it's a, it's a great. It's I, don't a know, great I don't know if there's a music list we're ever going to be able to create that won't have some sort of Van Halen something on it, right? I, probably not. Probably so, not. No. You know, that's what it is. All right. Uh, so let's see. We we got uh, we got a couple honorable mentions. Um, I, I have two. I was able to narrow it down to two. Mm -hmm. um, th this, I did have, I have one that we'll call it a little bit of a cheat because it is a live album. We were texting before 
the, the, we started broadcasting and we said, Hey, should, you know, should we, should we disqualify live albums because they really are greatest hits. And we decided, no, we're, we, we, we won't. So um, this one is from September 8th, 2009. Um, it is live from Atlanta by Jacko Pierce. Um, okay. All right. Jacko Pierce is a, is a band. It's probably not very well known. I know you know them very well, but it, you know, it's, it's two guys, you know, they, they are the kind of the quintessential college band, right? There are two guys from Austin, Texas that, that met and have made a career out of, uh, out of being two guys in a band, right? Um, they, it's, it's, it's Jack O'Neill and, and Carrie Pierce. Um, I've actually had the pleasure of seeing Carrie Pierce live in person. I've never seen the band. I've actually met um, Carrie, awesome dude. Um, again, acoustic music, lyrical music, uh, depending on who wrote the songs. Um, Jack is a little bit more gruff and a little bit more um, serious about the songs he writes. Carrie is more kind of upbeat and happy and happy-go-lucky and those kind of things. But when you put those guys together, um, they, they make some incredible music. And, and this album was um, kind of the, the precursor. I guess they, they had just recorded their first album in, God, quite some time. Um, it had probably been 10 or 12 years. The, the name of the album was Promise of Summer. And they, they recorded this live in a, in, a band, in, a, um, in a venue called Eddie's, I think, in Atlanta. And I've never been there, but just based on hearing it, it sounds very similar to like what the Bluebird would sound like, right? Just like kind of this little, you know, shit bar that might hold a couple hundred people, two guys on a stage. Um, there was a band in college that we used to go see called Mike and Joe or Michelangelo reminded me a lot of what these guys might sound like. So um, I love it. I, that, that album I've listened to countless times. I listen to it all the time on road trips. It's, it's the one... If anybody ever wants to know Jack O'Pierce, that's kind of the one that I point him to. So funny because when we were talking before this and we talked about the whole, you know, should we put a live album on here? I guessed that you were going to put Jack O'Pierce on here, but I didn't guess this album. I thought it was going to be their first live album, which was, okay. was it Back from the Americas, Americas yeah. or something like that? Yep. Um, and so I was wondering when Jack O'Pierce was going to end up on your list because I thought it was inevitable. Um, that album though is, is good. It, it, it's a really good one because it encompasses, you know, all of their great songs to that point in their career. And again, people who listen to this podcast are probably sick of hearing this, but I mean, this is another band that you turned me on to, uh, and that we listen to quite a bit. Um, but this, uh, this album is good because, you know, the, their first live album was really, really good, but it was really short in terms of like, it only had like seven or eight songs on it. Um, but it, it only encompassed obviously all the songs that they'd written to that point. But, but you know, your album, this one had, um, obviously there had been more time and they got to cover a lot more of their material. So I think it was more all encompassing of their, you know, their, uh, their discography, if you will. So yeah, that was, that was a really good one. And, and Jacko Pierce is, is a fantastic band that, if people don't know, um, you know, they should definitely go check out, especially some of their older works. Um, it's, it's really good stuff for sure. Yep. All right. What do you got, sir? So, uh, all right. Well, I guess I'll, uh, 
I guess I'll sort of follow suit there. Um, I also have a Jacko Pierce album in my honorable mentions. Nice. Um, uh, it's bringing on the weather. It, it has to be bringing on the weather. It's not, uh, it's not a live album, but it is the, the studio album that sort of uh, introduced me to this band. And, you know, like you have said uh, for a while now, it's, it's very acoustic. It's very sort of college rockish, but it's, it's got such a vibe to it that I just can't even describe to people. And maybe I'm just sort of conjuring all this because we spent countless nights uh, coming home from the bars you know, uh, half in the bag or, or maybe at least 75 to All 90% in the bag. In the bag. <laughs> um, and we'd, we'd sit at home and we'd sit in our, in our condo and we'd, we'd play world series baseball 94. And we'd listen to, uh, bring it on the weather, like, like front to back all the time. And it was just, I don't know. It was so magical at that time. And I still think to this day, if you like acoustic music, it has a great vibe to it and a great sound. It was it was produced by T-Bone Burnett, who has been responsible for a lot of really, really great albums. Uh, I think famously Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, that album, that, I mean, he's done that for them. Oh, he's done a lot of stuff for the Bodines, yeah. which uh, the Bodines are, are a, a big, big favorite of mine. Um, probably should have ended up on this list somewhere if I, if I had my druthers, but... Um, but no, th this album is, is really, really great um, and sets a very, very specific mood that you may not always, you know, be ready for. But when you are, it's it's amazing. And I still listen to it this day. If I could get this album on vinyl, it would complete my life. But I don't know if they're ever going to put it out. I don't yeah. think it was ever available originally on vinyl. But man, what I really love that. Yeah. yeah bring know, it on the weather. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great album. I, I'm pretty sure... God, when was that album released? I, I want to say 90. You know, it's interesting because it doesn't even have its own Wikipedia page. Right. Um, because they're that not popular. But, right. Um, you know what? I, I might have bought that album. This, let's see. 94. April of 94. That's when it came out. April of 94. I was right on that. You know what? I, I might have bought that album. No, I don't know if that could be true or not. I was gonna say I might have bought that that album the same day I bought that the mental jewelry album. I might. You know what? I might have because that trip. Let's see. I graduated. I graduated. What would that have been? Like May, and then yeah. So I might have bought that album the same day I bought mental jewelry. Um, and again, just just kind of fell in love with it and. Um, and you know, it's funny, a lot of these albums and a lot of these songs, you know, we've, we've mentioned it, bring you back to a specific time in life, mm -hmm. but they also, as you grow in life and as you have new experiences, you get to experience that music in a different manner. There's a song on that album called Jacob that, you know, when you have children, and you listen to that song, it takes on a completely different meaning, or at least it did for me. Um, and, and I guess that's the beauty of music, right? It's like, it, it kind of hits you where you are in life. Um, and that's, and that's really what makes a great album. So anyways. Yeah. That great. one's that, that Jacob song is a very, it's got a very cats in the cradle kind of vibe to mm -hmm. it. Um, but much like Sergeant Pepper um, takes me back to the dorms, uh, Jack yeah. Pierce takes me back to four or six North Lane. Yeah, uh, that is that is the place where that just 
was ingrained into my <laughs> love of music forever and uh and it's it's nice like that's that's 406 for me is is jacko pierce for sure yeah nice um all right so i've got one last honorable mention um it is a 1990 album march 20th 1990 um it's an album called i do not want what i haven't got and it's by Sinead o'connor wow um, okay this album, I would imagine, is probably most well known for probably my least favorite song on the album. <laughs> um, and that's Nothing Compares to You, which is was just a mega huge hit. Uh, it was actually written by Prince. Um, and then Sinead O'Connor, I think, made, you know, made it famous. I don't think Prince ever recorded it prior he to did. that. Yeah, oh, he, he? he did, but he didn't. Uh, it wasn't. I can't remember if it was just recorded and released and didn't go anywhere or if he waited to re release it, okay. but it, there is a version of it for sure. Yeah. So, but you know, but, but that, but that's, this is the song that kind of made Sinead O'Connor. Right. And, um, but again, that's, there's 10 songs on the album. I think it might be my least favorite song. And again, that's not to say that it's not a, an amazing song because it is uh, Sinead O'Connor actually, you know, her vocals are, really really strong and she's just got a powerful powerful voice she's you know an irish singer and if you don't you know i'm sure you know her she's this kind of bald chick that has gone on to you know she had all sorts of issues on saturday Night live and all all sorts of things but she's a an amazing songwriter singer um i think my my favorite song on that album is probably um boy it's probably a song called black boys on mopeds um, which is a song about um, repression in England and, and those kind of things. But it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those albums, again, you put it on, you hit play and you can listen to the whole thing through. And in fact, I, I was listening to it again tonight as we were, as I was prepping for this and it just kind of um, reaffirmed that, that I, I love this album. It's so, so good. Uh, also another one of the albums I think it's the second one on my list that it was actually in the the uh, Rolling Stones 500 greatest albums. I think it was a 457 or something like that. So oh, that's that's interesting. I uh, you know I, I one thing that I admire about you is that you have a lot of female artists in your listening repertoire, right? Like you, <clears throat> it, it's not all all male artists, and that's something I've been trying to work on lately is to try to expose myself to more female artists. You know, I like. Uh, Brandy Carlisle, Joni Mitchell, that kind of stuff, you know, just anything, anything that's out there. Um, I, I can't say I'm familiar with that album at all, so I can't mm -hmm. really comment too much on it. I will say Nothing Compares to You is actually a really great song. I imagine that that if you don't like that song, you're probably turned off by it for the same reason that I would be for Pour Some Sugar on Me or whatever. It's just, it's it's easily the most popular song yeah. Um, yeah. on the album and, and got an obnoxious amount of, of airplay and rightfully so, but after a while, it's like, okay, I've had enough. Um, Prince's version is good. Chris Cornell's version is the best. If you're, if you're asking me pound for pound, um, he has an acoustic version of that song that will absolutely haunt your dreams for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, I haven't uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to that, but I mean, if it's on your list in that respect, then it's something that I feel like I should yeah, definitely it's, give it a it's try. Worth giving a listen, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, my last pick, my last honorable mention. Interestingly enough, both of my honorable mentions were produced produced by uh, T Bone Burnett. Um, 
but this is a, a definitely a different band, but the same time frame. This is the Counting Crows, and it's August and everything after. Oh, um, so good. August and everything after. Whew, man, how do I how do I summarize this? It, it probably deserves to be better than an honorable mention because it was there for me in some very very impactful moments of my life. Um, at least one or two I I won't mention on here, but um, it is. Man, it is it is such a good album. It is such a moody album, and it is so representative of a time in my life. It just it just time stamped that that point in my life, right? Like so, throwing copper was a big album back in uh, in the mid '90s when I got to school when we both went to to Bloomington, and August and everything after was like a companion piece to that because it was side by side with that the whole time. I was listening to both bands and and that album especially, and I'll never forget and. A, a very um, strong memory is that um, we had orientation week before we all went to school, right? And that week, or I'm sorry, it wasn't even a week. I think it was a weekend. But we were down for like a weekend, like a, a, week, a month or a couple of weeks before school actually started. So my parents drove me down there and we're, I'm doing this orientation weekend. I'm staying in a dorm with some random dude driving a Plymouth Duster that I don't, I don't even know that guy. I never saw him again. I can't remember. I, I can't believe I remember he, what he was driving. Um, but I will, I will never in my life forget the sensation of driving home, um, leaving Bloomington, right? So like if you come to Bloomington from the north and you drive south and you drive over that big hill and you see that bridge that sort of tells you that you're in Bloomington, right? That, uh, yeah. that, 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 um, I think that's, that's college, um, that returns into college if you yeah, take I the exit. So. But anyways, I will never forget driving away from that and kind of looking back and I'm listening to my Walkman because the first version of this album that I had was on tape and I'm listening to Perfect Blue Buildings and I'm I'm watching this as I'm driving away and I'm thinking to myself, my life is getting ready to begin, right? Because, I, you know, high school was high school. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of high school and I, I think that I understood that it had a lot of limitations as it pertained to my growth as a human being. And when I got to Bloomington, I realized immediately, I'm like, this is going to be a game changer. This is going to change my life forever. And the Counting Crows, that first album became the soundtrack, you know, became a part of my soundtrack for that time in my life. And like I mentioned, um, it, it, it was there through many other important parts of my life as well. And to this day, it's, you know, it's not one that I revisit a lot, but I will say that it's, it's just as important and it's just, it, it has all the, the nostalgia and all the feels that it did back then when I listened to it again was something like Sullivan street comes on. Oh. I mean, it just guts me. It really does. Or, um, Anna begins or, or rating at Baltimore. Oh my God. That song crushes me all the time. It, it's, it's so good. It's so amazing. And, um, it, it probably deserves to be higher on my list, but, um, yeah, that's uh, August and Everything After by the Counting Crows, which interestingly enough, side note, the um, they recently, the most recently released song that they have put out commercially was the title track for that album that they never actually released. So the August and Everything After never had a song called August and Everything After, but they had written one. And if you remember the, the album artwork to that yeah. album, it has lyrics in orange and yellow scrawled across the front of, of the album. The lyrics that, if you read them close enough, they are the lyrics to the song August and Everything After, which was never put on that album. 
they eventually re-recorded it uh, and released it. And uh, they, they released it as an exclusive to Amazon Music. So you can't really buy it on iTunes, but it's out there. And it's and you can tell it's it's got a vibe to it that very much mirrors that um, you know the other songs that were on that album. So that's you know, uh, yeah, that's this, my last one. That, that that is that's an album that as I was going through this, I'll be honest, I didn't I I, I didn't remember, um, but but it's an amazing album, right? I mean, it, it is. I agree. It, it takes you right back to that uh, 1994, 1995, you know, which is again, when we graduated from high school, went to college, you know, I think the two kind of two or three biggest songs are probably Mr. Jones and Round Here and maybe Rain King are probably the, the three songs that probably got the, the biggest radio play. Uh, my favorite song on that album is Omaha, mm -hmm. always has been. I just, I, you know, again, just melodically and, and lyrically, that one really spoke to me, but um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great, great pick I, you know I, I really struggled with you know do do I put an album like Pearl Jam 10 do I put an album like Stone Temple Pilots you know like, like those kind of things and and those were those were kind of they were close but um but I can totally see why you you know and well and you look at my list right my list is all full of 90s and you know mid 90s and late 80s kind of stuff mm -hmm. um and I think that's again that's the kind of the power of music it takes you back to a time and and th th those are the those are the albums. These are the albums that have kind of um, uh, have really kind of resonated with us over the years. This 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 has been awesome. I, yeah. I, I'm really glad we did this one. No, this one was it was so weirdly cathartic, right? Because we get to talk about. I, I think we. I think I came to the realization while I was going through this list that so much of this, you know, not all of them. If you look at them top to bottom came from college, but they all come from moments in your life that, that sort of impact this choice. Right. And, um, especially in college, you know, like with the County Crows album or with, uh, you know, Tom Petty or something like that, or even Jacko Pierce, you know, like those were such important albums at that time that, uh, you know, like they're there forever as far yeah. as I'm concerned, like they, they don't ever leave They're They're all part of that part of my personal history and that's that's what makes this really special for sure all right well we we uh we got through it we we talked a long time which is awesome and i don't even care we we're going about well, an hour and a half and uh hey i, I hope uh, everybody that's listening to this has enjoyed it uh, i hope maybe we uh we gave you uh, one or two albums that you'd not heard of heard of before and, and are worth checking out uh we have a boatload of stuff that we're going to be talking about in the upcoming episodes we put together a little, um, a, a note, a shared note, and we've got about 20 or 25 episodes on there, topics that we're going to talk about. So we got a lot, we got a lot coming for you in the future. Uh, that being said, this is Chewy. I've had a wonderful time and I've been joined obviously by my friend, Mr. Pat Power, sir. Uh, I am great. And I am, uh, I'm jazzed. This was a, a fantastic, uh, podcast and, uh, I can't wait for the next one already. All right. Have a good one. This has been right. the 411 from 406. We'll see you guys. Adios. Right, bye.